We live inside a dream. Squeeze his hand off. Hello and welcome to <laughs> Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates, the uh, Stanley Kubrick and David Lynch podcast with your two favorite geeks who like Twin Peaks. My name is Eric Keppel. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for listening to the show and being a part of our little community here. Yes. We have a, we have a big show coming up, a great guest. Real quick, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy is where you can find our weekly bonus episodes where we talk about Tales from the Crypt. We do uh, fan uh, fan suggestions. We do uh, Hollywood conspiracy theories, 90s comedy movies, all sorts of shit. It's a great time. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. And uh, today we are uh, continuing our watch of Twin Peaks The Return. I've seen it. Jeremy has not. And we have a <laughs> guest here today who I believe has seen the entire thing, uh, Michael Hearn. Hey, thank you for having me back. Uh, yeah, I've seen the entire thing. This is actually only really my second time rewatching it, so it was fun to do that. So did you did you watch along during the the original airing? Yeah, I did. I watched it all when it was like coming on and following along with it, and it was a really exciting time. It was probably the best time of my life before everything that's happened now. So, uh, best time of my life. Yeah, probably for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of agree with that. I mean, uh, yeah, I I uh hadn't watched it again and since the the original airing, and I feel like I forgot like a good amount of like enough stuff where I'm I'm really enjoying this rewatch. It's yeah, been a good two years or so. Yeah, even the episodes I rewatched, it was just fun to relive some of the details, and especially because it's not very like you, you aside from maybe just episode eight or a couple of the other episodes, they're not like defined as full episodes in the sense of like, this is the sh- the episode where this happens. It's just like a lot of different scenes and information and vignettes in, in like each episode. So it kind of was fun to like revisit and remember details and stuff I forgot and just how exactly when it all came around. Yeah, it is interesting how it's not really structured uh, in any sort of way, other than like the whole th- the the whole piece as a as a whole is. But like looking back, but yeah, I remember like watching when it was originally happening. And Jeremy, you're probably experiencing this too, where it like it kind of just ends uh, when you don't expect it to. Sometimes the episodes like, c- do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I will say that it's probably one of the better shows of the last 10 years though like that doesn't seem to oh, be yeah. really holding the show back at all like it, oh, no. it, it's like really like I don't know and I, I wouldn't say that every episode ends that way I like just some episodes end sort of abruptly but there's a charm in it that it's it's like a, it's like almost feels like a very confident choice where there's like it's like charming yeah. how like you know even episode 8 which we'll get into it's ending is not like particularly 
magnificent. You know, I mean, I'm magnificent. I, that's a stupid word. Like uh, profound or, uh, you know, cliffhangery or, it, you know, tell or like getting you ready for the next episode. It just kind of ends. Things just kind of end and ideas yeah. just sort of fall away. And I think that's what makes it really exciting for somebody like me who is a bit of a creative and an artist and a writer like i i like stuff like that i think those are good choices i i think that it is yeah. it shows confidence whereas some shows that kind of keep you uh you know the the baiting 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 you in with like the guess you know like oh you won't believe what'll happen next kind of sentiment i think sometimes are just like you can see the suits behind the scenes being like well we got to have that you know interest peaked by the end of the episode so we can get them this, the their butts back in their seats for next week you know oh yeah oh yeah well i want to i want to talk all about these two episodes but real quick uh if you fellas don't mind i would like to introduce a brand new segment mm. uh this will be this will be weekly if i remember to do it great uh as listeners know i i have been just dying to watch uh Northern Exposure. Oh yeah. So so, gentlemen, I I, uh, I went out and me, I, I purchased Bonnie Vare. What's that? What? Uh, Bonnie Vare famously like watched a bunch of Northern Exposure when he was in the cabin, uh, making for Emma forever ago. Oh really? So oh really? That was my that famously, which is why you all got my joke. Yeah, I just revisited that album, uh, and that's very odd that I like then had because I did like recently have this. I keep having these urges to watch this show, and I finally just pulled the trigger on the box set. And I would like to do every every episode, Jeremy, just something <laughs> I would like to call the Moose Minute. Okay, where great. I will, <laughs> I will wait, I'll update everyone on where I'm at and and any stray thoughts or anything. So I'm two episodes in. Mm. Love the pilot. Mm. Uh, not at all a fan of Joel, I believe, okay. is the main character. Okay. But I think you're not supposed to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, overall, having a great time. Okay, so, so it's a good been... show. You recommend it. So far, I do, yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. how much was the box set? 50 bucks. That's not bad. Hey, Hearn, what do you think of uh, Northern Exposure? you seen it I've, or no? I've never watched a single second of it. Um, yeah. I've heard about it and... Kind of, funny enough, I've heard the comparison being that it's kind of like a more mainstream sitcom-y Twin Peaks in a way, because it's like rural yes. settings and uh, ter- like similar anti-charismatic lead. I don't know. I honestly haven't seen it, so I don't have a opinion one mm-hmm. way or the other. I'm curious. Yeah. yeah, it is filmed in Washington. It's set in Alaska, but it's filmed in Washington. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it is just like classic 90s like hour it's like an hour-long comedy sort of dramatic but like it's it's very silly it's fun i laughed out loud many times great show so that's been your moose minute let's, <laughs> go, let's get back to twin peaks love that minute man love that moose minute i yeah, i yeah. i have half a mind to start northern exposure myself i i might it might be something that i pull the trigger on too i know that my roommate has all of it on his plex account so it's kind of set up Whoa. in the living room. I can just go in there, I guess, watch it anytime. I, it seems like it is a little bit more of a mainstream Twin Peaks, and you know, maybe, maybe I'll like that. Maybe I won't. I t- don't know yet. But I, Eric, I, I also, I don't know if you know about this, but I, I wanted to bring this up because Michael Hearn is a, uh, he is a mainstay on a sh- on another show, a sister show uh, to to 
Stan and Davey wedding dates. Uh, we have a sister. Yeah, we have a sister, and her name is Video Games a Comedy Show. Oh, and yeah. she and she is, uh, you know, she's a round table sort of discussion based show about video games. Uh, you know, with a with a bunch of co- you know co- comedic uh, goofers. I like to call us. You know, we're the goof troop sure. uh, of uh, of comedy, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and there's a game, a video game called deadly premonition mm-hmm. and i happen to know yeah. michael hearn is a very big fan of this game and yeah, hearn, would one. you would you explain what deadly premonition is to eric because i uh, i think i want to do an episode on deadly <laughs> premonition for standard be, wedding dates that'd be a fun uh, side thing uh basically it's kind of in the vein gameplay wise of like resident evils or open world puzzle games like or adventure games like silent hill or something but it's from this Japanese developer called Swery, who is a big fan of Twin Peaks and more or less just kind of rips off Twin Peaks uh, because he's such a big fan of it. It's kind of like how Hideo Kojima is, is kind of like taking a lot of uh, merits from like how he made uh, Snatcher, which was basically Blade Runner. This is that to Twin Peaks. And it's about a detective who like goes to a town that's kind of overrun by zombies. He's trying to f- solve a murder. He, it's like everything from Twin Peaks too. He's basically uh, Dale Cooper because he's talking on his microphone, on his like a uh, tape recorder, just giving notes to an unseen person. He's trying to find out this guy called the Raincoat Killer, and mm. he's just doing that by going around town, meeting everyone, and everyone is like a character that has their own distinct uh, elements. There's one guy who's like an old rich guy in a wheelchair who speaks in rhymes, and. Just random, like, little touches of, like, inspired whimsy all across mm-hmm. this, like, game where you're running around shooting zombies and trying to solve a murder. Um, I love it, that. It And tonally, just on top of that being so lost in translation, it's just tonally whiplash on top of everything. So it kind of found... Sort of the ever funny thing about it, too, is it's not that great a game, honestly. Like, it doesn't play mm-hmm. super well, and it's buggy. But fans like it a lot because it's like such a weird, unique world to play a game, and it's like the Twin Peaks video game, pretty much. So, like, imagine playing that. Um, and the, the sequ- I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's really intriguing. It might even be best just to like check out a video and see what it like feels like. Um, well, heard. Uh, I bought right? it on Nintendo Switch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, I I would say that we should we should do an episode on Deadly Premonition when we're done with the return as a like a little a little farewell to the series, just because. Yeah. It's a it's definitely Twin Peaks oh, inspired. So. Yeah, and I and, and uh, you know Eric, if you want to buy it for your Nintendo Switch, you're more than welcome. If not, no worries. You could probably just watch a video on it, a playthrough or whatever. I'm. I'm going to probably play through it. So hopefully by the time we're done with the return, I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, Great. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching. I'm just glancing at a couple of videos here. It looks, it looks stylistically. There's one, this one in particular, they're in like a diner or mm-hmm. something. That yeah. looks very twin, very much like the double R. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Or what's the, what's the name of the diner in uh, Haps, Haps Diner in um, Firewalk with me. Right. Uh, one more thing before we get into the episodes, Michael. I were, was it you that uh, brought up the four and a half hour long fan theory video le- uh, on the Lost Highway episode, or did did I make that up? No, I I don't I don't know about this one. It's a fan theory video about Lost Highway, or it's about Twin Peaks. 
about Twin Peaks. Okay. Sorry, I thought for for whatever reason I thought you told me about this. Someone, some crazy person told oh, me I about this. It. One of the one of my <laughs> many associates who are, are legally uh, insane, <laughs> legally insane, and obsessed with Twin Peaks told me about this video that I had not heard of until uh, you know a while ago. Uh, it's a four and a half hour video on YouTube. And this guy basically puts forth this this fan theory about what uh, Twin Peaks is about, and it's it's the way it's done is like a little annoying because like it has the, it's got one of those annoying like YouTube titles that's like Twin Peaks actually explained really, and uh, <laughs> he kind of like he kind of uh, presents it as like this is the definitive this is what Twin Peaks is about and. There's no other, you know, no other right interpretation, but it's, uh, it's been like making the rounds in the, uh, you know, the Twin Peaks world and I watched it and I recommend it to you, my friend. Uh, it it is four and a half hours long, but I, I actually like listen to it. Uh, and you can, you can listen, you can pretty much get the gist of his like thesis within the first like 45 minutes and uh, it it's, it completely changed the way that I look at Twin Peaks, and I'm 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 dying to talk to people about it. Well, I I'd, well, I'd like to give this. I'd, I'll watch all four hours of that. Are yeah. you kidding? That sounds great. And this is yeah. like seasons one through three in Fire Walk with Me at Twin Peaks, or is this just like old school Twin Peaks? Uh, all of it, everything. Nice. Okay, yeah. I'm interested because honestly, I kind of didn't have. I didn't like outsource when I was watching uh, The Return too much to like other people's perspectives I kind of just took it on my own and kind of found out about it after the fact like what people thought or like understood what was going on so I'd be down for a deep dive just to like catch up yeah yeah it's 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 good also Drew our buddy Drew Drew I, I've been going through the uh, the stuff you sent me to Drew sent me some good some good fan theory videos uh, alright anyway let's dive into uh, part 7 uh, what is the title of this one? Oh, I guess it doesn't say. It the is title. called "There's a Body, All Right." Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, part seven of the return. Jerry Horn wakes up in the woods, extremely stoned from his last <laughs> bout of doing drugs. He calls Ben, frantically claiming someone stole his car. He doesn't know where he is. I love a good Jerry Horn, my dudes. Hearn, you a fan yeah, of Jerry or what? Oh, I'm a Jerry Head, yeah. Yeah, Jerry Head. At the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department, uh, Hawk shows Frank the pages he found in the bathroom door, which he discovered uh, three or four missing pages from Laura's diary, which she gave to Harold Smith. One of the pages details an encounter Laura had with Annie Blackburn in a dream where she told her that the good Dale is in the lodge and can't leave. Another uh, page details Laura knows it isn't Bob, Hmm. Uh, which Hawk sees as evidence that Leland found and hid the pages during one of his visits to the station, likely when he was being interrogated for the murder of Jacques Renault. Hmm. Hawk is puzzled by the claim that Cooper could not leave the lodge, and uh, as Harry himself saw Cooper leave the Black Lodge with Annie, the only explanation that whoever left the lodge was not the good Cooper. Uh, Frank tries calling Harry to ask what he thinks, but decides against it after learning Harry's condition. I, I just so, want to shout out that uh, Skype call with the yes. de- 
the desk where he flips a little switch and the computer screen slides out of it in like a wooden like very david lynchian touch there of like this is what twin Peaks like technology would be it's like it's still all wooden and it's still like all kind of mechanical in a weird way it was fun to watch uh, and I mean, also, I hadn't seen this in a bit. Robert Forster is so good in this. I like him a lot. So charming. Yeah, he's great. He's he's so good. I kind of, you know, I, I, I forgot that he was in this, and I, I'm really appreciating him this time around. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like, I really like the old men of Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, it, it was, there was this, like, kind of harsh reality of seeing dr hayward on the skype call though where you were kind of like yeah uh did they just not get him on set because he like physically couldn't get to set because he's so he old. was he was really ill yeah. he was really ill during this but he he looks uh i love i love it he, lo- he looks in good spirits yeah the implication by the way of these pages that uh hawk finds i think are interesting because it's like the it almost implies that the black lodge is is out of time it exists outside of time which because laura has information pre-existing information from before when from before even meeting dale cooper which she technically never did in real life that dale cooper is trapped in the black lodge yeah you know what i mean but but what's kind of confusing about that is it, within the Black Lodge, they're very aware of the time outside of the Black Lodge, like because they know about the twenty-five year um, switcheroo. They know that like hmm. every twenty-five years, people will switch out. But but I think that like maybe inside the Black Lodge, time must operate differently. Yeah, that is uh, that is that's that's interesting. You know, you know when so when Laura. Uh, learns about you know, when and when she sees Annie. Annie shows up in Firewalk with me, like uh, in her bed next to her, and I think she's still like bloody or whatever. Oh, but she, right. it's like yeah. it's like a quick vision, and then she kind of disappears. Um, so I wonder what the, I guess, uh, yeah, you bring up a good point. Now I'm questioning what the rules are of like time in the Black Lodge because. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting know. thing to think to like consider, right? Because if she's if those notes were placed there, also like that is that is some creative hiding spot for <laughs> for something, you know the the a bathroom stall door. I, I don't know. I don't remember if we really talked about that so much in the last episode. I think we probably blew by it, but that is like crazy. Like watching Hawk open that yeah that like bathroom stall door was like insane to me <laughs> it's a little silly but I, I it's kind of i could see it like that actually happening especially yeah. the justification of like leland thought maybe he was gonna get frisked or something for sure uh, it, i i don't th- yeah. i don't think it's that silly I, I just more think it's like it's wild it's like I, i've never i've yeah. never even <laughs> considered what a bathroom stall door looks like on the inside <laughs> um andy interrogates a local farmer regarding his truck the same one uh, richard horn used to kill a young boy the farmer refuses to explain who is driving the truck at the time of the incident but arranges a meeting with andy to explain everything um i don't really get what's going on here because like uh yeah he he, do you understand like why is why is this guy freaking out or maybe i guess we find out later i i don't know i i guess we might find out later because he doesn't seem like i'm not sure if he knows that I'm not sure if the car was stolen, 
by Richard Horn, or if he let Richard Horn borrow the car, or if maybe there's like an unspoken thing here of like to to Andy, like oh, once you find out, it's kind of bigger. It's like big news because it's like a famous person's hmm. son or something. Ah, I see. I don't, but I don't. I have no idea. Like this, this scene definitely confused me. Although I did like watching Andy do police work. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so now we get the uh, the Skype call with with Doc Hayward. He's off fishing. Uh, Doc recalls that he brought Cooper into the hospital because he was acting weird. An hour later, he saw Cooper uh, leaving intensive care, fully dressed and with a strange expression. He ponders whether Cooper was checking in on Audrey Horn, who was still in comatose after the bank explosion. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Um, he also has a great fishing joke about fishing. As <laughs> he's <laughs> forget the joke. He's like, I caught three trout in my pajamas. I don't know how they got in there. <laughs> That's like an uh, old uh, Marx Brevers joke where Groucho was like, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How I down my pajamas, I'll never know. <laughs> so, I think that's the classic that's version. This he made it his own. Classic. I guess, I guess you don't see elephant in uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, not yet. Season four, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lieutenant Cynthia Knox arrives in Buckhorn, where she meets with Detective Mackley. Initially treating the discovery of the prince as another by by the book's case, she is shocked to learn that Briggs's prince actually came from a body. Uh, Constance Talbot shows the body, which she notes belonged to a man in his late 40s and died in the last few days. Lieutenant Knox calls uh, Colonel Davis about this development, who points out that Major Briggs would have to be in the, his 70s if he died recently. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Knox informs the Buckhorn staff that it will most likely not be their investigation for long. Meanwhile, a mysterious dark man walks past the morgue. I don't remember the uh, mysterious dark man. Yeah, I just watched these episodes... Really? Yeah. But I will say this. Do you guys feel like maybe there's one too many chain of commands in the, (laughs) in the police slash FBI? (laughs) Like it, 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 I can't tell if they're, if they're like, if the joke is that like how bureaucratic the, our justice system is or whatever, like it's kind of like making fun of that. There's too many hands in the honey pot. Or if it's just like, David Lynch is trying to get as many character actors as he can in the show, you know? But it's like, it's like, okay, we got fucking Con- uh, Cynthia Knox, Countess Talbot, Colonel Davis, Major Briggs, Detective Macklin. You know, it's just like so many people like interested in this. And I, I it's, it's really funny to me. <laughs> like I'm kind of, I yeah. don't, I don't know who Colonel Davis is and what his stake is in this. I'll t- I'll say that. Like, I'm not quite sure. I don't really know who he is either. I will say this Lieutenant Knox, this actor, is very good. Or uh Yeah. I'm a big fan. Which one is Cynthia which one is she again? Is she the red haired lieutenant? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, she she's the one that like calls Colonel Davis on the phone. Mm. And uh, Oh no. So she's not she's yeah, she's not She's not, she's not David Lynch's assistant, no. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Cynthia yeah. Knox is a different person. So Cynthia Knox and the 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 woman detect the woman FBI agent who's hanging out with Albert and David Lynch. You're t- yeah, you're talking about Tammy Preston. Yeah. Tammy Preston, okay, yeah. That those yeah. two it is confusing. They yeah, they they kind of have so far been doing the same thing, serving the same purpose in the show, which is like kind of yeah. just transferring information back and forth. I will say it's easy to miss, but 
if you if you were to, if you caught it, it is very it is very uh, disturbing. There is right before that scene ends, one of the woodsmen who we see, uh, we'll Ooh. talk about in episode eight, do appear in the morgue. Oh, uh, and it's very bizarre. You just see this like all black figure walking around for a few seconds. Albert uh, reports to Gordon he could not get a word to, into Diane about Cooper before she cursed him out. Gordon and Albert meet with Diane and a younger man in her apartment where she cordially receives them. Gordon explains that they need Diane to come to South Dakota to aven- identify the imprisoned Cooper as they suspect uh, something is wrong with him. Diane reluctantly joins them. Yeah. This is a good idea. Her. I mean, this is kind of a cool concept is that like, if anyone will know it's Cooper, it's Diane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michael, how are you? Uh, how do you like the uh, Laura Dern, Diane? Oh, I mean, how do you think yeah, I like it? I think it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's really funny to see too. I I mean, she was in, I think, a couple of previous episodes. This is definitely the first one where it's David Lynch seeing across from her talking to her, right? Because they've so yeah. cool. seen yeah. before. And that's just funny to see David Lynch like doing his character actor bit as like the high-talking detective. And then her reaction just being this told, fuck you and fuck you and fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just really funny. Like, it's like a comedic duo of like Abbott and Costello or something. It's just really funny to see. And I, I mean, they have a lot of fun with it. I don't think they, you know, miss an opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. It's also cool, like, it, in the scene that we're going to get here pretty soon. Which is uh, Diane arriving into Diane arrives at prison to you know meet with the doppelganger. You can, the one interpretation of a lot of these scenes, it's like, hey, this is gonna maybe be the one of the last times on film that uh, we get like this combo, right? The David Lynch, yeah. Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern combo, because you know everyone's yeah. getting old. You know, not what are the chances that Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern are gonna work on a project again? You know, you just you kind of get the feeling that it's like we're doing blue velvet one more time you know we're doing we're doing this 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 hangout this grouping this uh, one more time even though of course it's not like the scenes are in and of themselves an homage to blue velvet it's like you're seeing kyle mclaughlin and laura dern directed by david lynch in a scene again that's that's yeah. kind of like a a film <laughs> a film liker's wet dream you know oh yeah oh yeah uh, Albert reports to Gordon he could not get a word into Diane about Cooper before she cursed him out. Okay, we already did that. On the flight to South Dakota, Tammy shows Gordon and Albert her analysis of the imprisoned Cooper prints. Mm. Uh, though they are a match, someone at the prison had to reverse the prints to get it. Not only does Cooper in prison say the backwards word Yerev, very backwards, but his prints are also backwards. Gordon praises Tammy's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, what, there is, was what, are we, what are we to make of the thing with he does with the hand? I don't know what that means. Yeah, okay. the fingers. <laughs> yeah, the fingers. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means. I will say when this episode came out, there was a lot of speculation, uh, and it's really easy to miss, but if you... Uh, I think if you look up like this airplane, I, I, maybe just look up Twin Peaks: The Return Airplane on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- when it cuts to this scene, there's a shot of this airplane, 
uh, mm. flying in the sky <laughs> and in the windows, like obviously very deliberately. Uh, the windows are like flashing in like a very bizarre pattern. Oh, and weird. some people were speculating. People were trying. Pe- some people thought maybe it was like some Morse code thing, and people were trying to like crack the code of like what David Lynch was trying to tell us. I remember there was one theory that was like, th- if you look at the windows on the plane as the holes in a flute. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you take to mean like the whitey the white on the window to be like a person's finger on the flute it's someone playing um the song from the king and i or something like people went really nuts trying Whoa. to figure out what this what this meant it's like 2 seconds of <laughs> what Whoa. might have been just david lynch fucking with people but Weird. it is it is strange yeah it's also like you know one of the great joys of a David Lynch project, though, is to try to find meaning, even if there may not be oh, yeah. meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I think we skipped just, I think there was a David Lynch was in his office or something before they all went out. And there is, I didn't catch this when I first watched it, but obviously now having seen episode eight after this and knowing that it's coming, his office has like a poster of a big atomic explosion behind him. Yeah. And I'm oh, like, that's yeah. a, that's a foreshadow there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't. I um, did not. I did not recognize that. But I also didn't know to look for it. So. Mm-hmm. Isn't it, it, when he's whistling in Fire Walk with Me? I remember there's a background behind him. That's not a explosion, a mushroom cloud, too, is it? Oh, maybe I haven't seen that in a bit. It might be. Yeah. Um, no, no, Diana did, no, arrives. Eric. That was a big sublime poster. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was whistling waiting for my Ruka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Diane arrives at the uh at the prison where she meets with Doppel- the doppelganger. Diane asks if he remembers the last night they saw each other which doppelganger correctly states was at her house. Uh, realizing he is not the real Cooper, Diane becomes emotional and shuts down the meeting. Are I we, gotta say, yeah. this is like fucking top-notch Laura Dern performance when oh, she's yeah. like, "Me too. I'll never forget it." Like mm-hmm. that whole the, that whole bit is so good. Are we also to assume that there's some kind of romance hap- that happened between Diane and Cooper? Yeah, I think that's the assumption. I okay. think uh, I think that's fair to say is that something romantic happened mm. um, between. Diane and, and some form of Cooper. Uh, so on their way out, Gordon tells Ward and Murphy to ke- uh, to keep Cooper imprisoned until he hears from the FBI. Outside the prison, Diane tells Gordon that there is something missing from Cooper that makes her certain it is not the Dale Cooper she knew. Gordon asks her what happened when she and Cooper last met, which she states she will tell him some other time. As the doppelganger is led back to his cell, he tells a guard to tell Warren Murphy he needs to meet with him about a strawberry. Oh yeah, Dad, this is yeah. this is going nowhere good. <laughs> nope. Uh, Andy waits at the meeting place for the farmer, who is over half an hour late. Unbeknownst to him, the farmer's truck is still at the house with the door wide open. His informant, a no-show. Andy leaves. He's got a nice watch on, though, Andy. He's got a Rolex. He's a nice... Yeah, he deserves that watch. Andy's mm-hmm. a good man. 
Yeah, you know he does. <clears throat> raised a great kid. Yes, raised uh, a, a great <laughs> Michael Sarah. Yeah. Uh, the doppelganger meets with Morton Murphy, who threatens him with a gun. Doppelganger informs him about the dog legs. Uh, one was in his trunk. The other three were sent out to people who could possess, who could pose a threat to Warden Murphy if anything bad were to happen to the doppelganger. Uh, Murphy asks how the doppelganger, uh, how he knows about this. He says, Joel McCluskey. <laughs> Murphy puts down the gun and asks what he wants. The doppelganger requests a car for himself and Ray Monroe. With a friend in the glove compartment uh, that night, he mm. tells Warden Murphy that he will s- never see him again, but no one will ever hear anything more about Joel McCluskey or Mr. Strawberry. Yep. Very, yep. Uh, it, yeah, it, sort of like film noir talk. <laughs> Cause can we can yeah. like, yeah, sort of like one of David Lynch's favorite things is to like hide a bunch of stuff in like meaningless you know term like names and phrases like uh, i'm not convinced they're meaningless but it is like it does seem like something that you would like hear in like the maltese falcon or something like some some very like neo-noir type thing you know this scene actually made me think like i wish david lynch would make a neo-noir film like just a straight up neo-noir film like a noir film that took place today and i you could you could say that twin peaks is kind of that but I want something a little bit more down the barrel. Cause like, you know, like yeah. also that monkey short he did, um, mm-hmm. is very similar to the type of tone that I'm, that I, I think he could really pull off. I just don't know if David Lynch would be interesting, interested in doing something that, that straight, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would be interested in that too. That'd um, be cool. I think he could really do something really fun, like something like so, a, a cool throwback noir thing today. But oh yeah, yeah. Uh, as Janie E waits outside the office, Cooper scribbles on his desk while Anthony Sinclair tries to find out what he was talking to uh, talking to B- Bush Mullins about. Uh, a group of three detectives come in to ask him about Dougie's car, just as Janie E comes in to retrieve him. So this is Dave Keckner and yep. two other bumbling. <laughs> yeah, one of the other detectives. guys though, the guy in the back is also a famous guy. He's f- okay from. Uh, uh, is that it. Rob Riggle or whatever? It's not Rob Riggle, but it is. Okay. I believe it's the guy who plays um, Harvey Bullock in the show Gotham. <laughs> uh, I know that that doesn't sound like he's a famous guy, but uh, but yeah, I've, he's he's like kind of a comedic character actor. Um, anyways, he doesn't speak. He doesn't have like a speaking part. Mm. Uh, Donald Logue, I think is okay. his name. I think I think yeah, I think he's in. He's in this, and he uh. just stands there. So, um, Janie E ends up holding the bulk of the conversation for Cooper. The detectives explain the car was involved in an explosion that killed some members of a car theft gang. The detectives leave somewhat intimidated by Janie E. I like this like newfound confidence that Janie E has. Yeah. Uh, as the couple leave the building, Janie E tells Cooper that she settled the gambling debt and notes that they will be 
using his jackpot money for Sonny Jim. <laughs> Ike the Spike suddenly approaches them with a gun. Uh, Cooper immediately springs into action, grabbing his arm and sending it to the ground where it harmlessly fires off a shot uh, into the pavement. He then karate chops Ike's neck while <laughs> Janie E. chokes uh, the would-be assassin. The evolution of the arm appears to Cooper, insisting that he squeeze Ike's hand off. Cooper ends up squeezing Ike's hand so much a piece of skin becomes stuck to the gun. Uh, before, with another karate chop, Ike painfully retreats. Various witnesses are interviewed about the incident, all expressing disbelief in Dougie Jones' actions. A forensic investigator removes the piece of Ike's skin from the gun. I like the way that this sequence is uh, <laughs> filmed. and It's so edited. cool. Yeah, yeah, I like the yeah. spotlighting effect on this. Hearn, what do you think yes. about that? Yeah, I thought I remember it being laundered, but I think it was just because it was so disorienting and like immediately impactful. Um, one of the people in it, I don't know if you were going to bring this up, is Stephanie Allen. Of yes, UCB Stephanie Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Allen. And yeah, it's just one of those like out of nowhere, why like weird touches that this uh, third season does. That was like it's really effective though. Like after like the one action scene in this episode, that was like pretty immediate. It has like this lingering weird effect to it. Mm-hmm. I will say this is the maybe the only aesthetic choice that I don't like uh, in in the return is that little bit with the like news footage. It just seemed it seems weird. Oh, uh, oh, you mean like, like if the you're gonna do like the full yeah, like if you're gonna do the full like news style like handheld camera like news style at the scene of the crime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you might as well go all the way with like the little ticker and the yeah. all the other various graphics and stuff. It just seemed, I don't know. It seemed a little weird. Yeah, you know, but, I I agree. Yeah. I also knew Stephanie Allen was a part of the show. Like from I can't remember if I knew it from Twitter, her posting about it. But I like Stephanie Allen a lot. I think she's an incredibly underrated performer, especially like in the UCB circles. Like she has her own show or used to basically uh, have her own spot with last day of school but i always thought like she was really talented and i was excited to see her what character she was going to play in this and then after i saw that i was like oh (laughs) 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 she's like she's like a walk-on like she doesn't like she's not going to be in the show and that's a bummer i would like to see her do more stuff um because i think she's an interesting yeah she's good my favorite my favorite wild horse yeah, yeah, she's a she's a great. I, yeah, exactly. That's probably where most people would actually know her from. Is the is wild horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Great Northern, Ben Horn and Beverly Page uh, try to find out where mysterious ringing noise is coming from. Beverly then gives him an old green uh, Great Northern key that came in the mail. Ben commenting they switched car- to cards long ago. He realizes the key belongs to the room Cooper was staying in. Uh, Beverly asks about Cooper and about the murder of Laura Palmer, which Ben expresses amusement at, which is like a little weird considering Ben Horn like did you know have have sex with this like high schooler that she's referring to that was like murdered and he was suspected of her. <laughs> oh right, yeah. It, I mean the imp- yeah that's. I we we tend to forget all the pedophilia, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beverly then returns to her home where she meets with her sick husband Tom. Tom is suspicious about her whereabouts, which frustrates Beverly. 
Yeah, I thought um, when I first saw Tom, uh, but I've I've also had this same thing happen a lot, where I think that the character is like from the original series, and I'm like, oh, who's Tom? And then I look up who Tom is, and then Tom's just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I I was convinced. I was like, oh, is that Leo Johnson? And then I was like, did Leo Johnson die? Did he die? Um. What did happen to Leo Johnson? I feel uh, like he's yeah, he's got to be dead, right? <laughs> yeah, he's fucking dead somewhere. <laughs> uh, I wonder if this is some sort of a like supposed to be some sort of uh, I don't know parallel to that Leo Johnson Shelley. That's story. that's what made me think. It made me think of that, but uh, you know, I looked this up and I think Tom is only in this episode, so it's like oh really? Yeah, so it's like. What's the point of this? What what's happening here? Like, it it's really strange because they have a very direct and like pointed conversation. There seems to be a lot of underneath the surface here with Tom and Beverly Page, but I'm like not quite sure what what it was for, um, what it is for. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. a lot of the show, so I mean, I, I'll just be patient. Yeah. Did you guys have a uh, thought about what the ringing was? The ringing. No. Oh, yeah, the ringing they were checking out from the, the lamp, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, at, I, the, at the end of that scene, I mean, did you have a thought? I have no thoughts. What do you think? No. Well, at the end of the scene, they, like, the camera is going to, back to the lamp, but then it goes past into the wood. And I thought, is that oh. like a reference to Josie from uh, How She Ends Up <gasps> in Season 2? Oh, shit. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have that thought until I rewatched this actually, because I just remembered a scene being weird and like pointed at what you said. But then I saw that I'm like, huh, maybe that was a hint. And I, I mean, totally again, forgot about that. Josie's in the furniture. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's crazy to think about, Hearn. Like, yeah. what if? Who else is in the furniture? <laughs> I mean, I don't that know. We know of, that's yeah. that is interesting. Um, just to clarify, in the midst of being trapped in Windemere's pesky tarantula setup, an unknown assailant shot Leo to death with five bullets. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Man. Oh. Season two got very weird. That's right. Uh, yeah. At the roadhouse. So, Jeremy, I, I meant to ask you this up top. I, I told you last episode... I bet you there is going to be a scene that uh, you were going to maybe think is a little bit arduous, mm. <laughs> and uh, we're about to talk about it. Great. How did you feel about the man sweeping the floor at the roadhouse? To oh, green yes. I Okay, so I understand why... I understand why you would say that. Like, that is so funny, right? Like, it's like clearly clearly such a wild choice to just have a man sweeping i loved it though i didn't find it to be actual art i didn't find it to be arduous i like those choices in films i'm a big fan of like gus van zant's jerry for example (laughs) like a film that is two hours of two people walking aimlessly in a desert like i i do i do respect those kinds of choices and those kinds of like love it just weird for weird sake but what is it like what? What do the fans think of that? Or does it? Does everyone just like universally hate it? <laughs> uh, I remember people like not loving it at the time. Yeah. Um. I remember I get. I was like, 
I think I was I was so addicted to Twin Peaks The Return at this point mm-hmm. where the first time I saw it I was like, man, this is I appreciate the choice, but it's taken up a lot of yeah, you know, a lot story of screen time. time. Yeah, well, Hearn, <laughs> what do you settle this for us? What do you, what is your what is your opinion of this scene and like what purpose do you think it serves? I mean, I'm on the side of liking it. Uh, I think it's a kind of a punchline because I think is I don't know if this is the only episode or the first one, but it's after all the episodes ending in like a big musical act at the uh, roadhouse this is the first one where we see it after the musical act's gone and it's just a guy sweeping up and it's like the tamest rock song instrumental ever in the <laughs> background so it's kind of a just a jokey of like yeah all right the show's over for a second <laughs> yeah <laughs> now what and then it does like there is a point to it too that it's like not the end of the scene there is like a call about something kind of gross in a second but like it is like just a funny punchline and like a very like David Lynch visual humor way where it's just a guy sweeping pretty badly at it too. Yeah, he's not even sweeping yeah. good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, Jean Michel Renault uh, talks about you know some fifteen-year-old prostitutes. Uh, oh yeah, he's a yeah, greasy no slime good. ball for sure. Greasy guy. Uh, the doppelganger makes his exit from the prison with Raymond Rowe as Warden Murphy watches. Late at the uh, late at night at the Double R, Heidi and Shelley serve customers while Norma goes through some paperwork. A man runs in and asks if anyone has seen Billy before running out. Yeah, what the hell is that? <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Uh, I forget. Okay, I don't remember yeah. the explanation behind that, but I think we I think we get it at some point. But this is a great example though of like the episode probably either the credits should have rolled over the guy sweeping. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. would have been like <laughs> yeah. funny or like cut to black after the doppelganger leaves with Raymond Rowe. Like it ends one scene too late on on a on a uh on a in a moment that should that doesn't necessarily feel like it has any kind of gravitas or significance to it and i like that choice i think it's cool to have the credits roll over just an innocuous scene from the diner also i will say anytime we get back to the diner i'm excited because we don't we're not spending too oh, much yeah. time at the diner in these first seven episodes so I, I want more diner you know what i mean oh yeah so, Hearn, before we get into this, you know, we uh, asked you, you know, what what episode? What episode would a Michael Hearn want to talk about? <laughs> and you said you said part eight. Mm. Uh, what? Why is that? I mean, a couple of reasons just being like, I was really excited with Twin Peaks to return coming, and I have my own opinions about how it starts out as being like some of the greatest, like, beginning, re-entering to it. Um, what I love about the Twin Peaks to return is it's like, let me put it this way. I like David. I love David Lynch a lot, and I do have the opinion, like, it is a shame we don't see much of him doing, like, bigger projects nowadays. Like, his last film was Inland Empire in 2006, and this was, like, 10 years later. And, yeah, like, he isn't doing much active. But then I heard the uh, Road to Dr- Room to Dream, rather, audiobook, and just sort of, like, how he approaches art making and everything. And it kind of drew on me, like, especially what I appreciate about this so much is this is, like, his most free project where it's, like, he didn't have to do it and he wanted to do it and he was able to do it on his own terms in such a way that, like, it's kind of, like, why he would only do it that way and why he's probably not doing something, like, right now that's just like it. 
because he's just like he did it. He now he can move on to something else. Um, and I doubt a lot of that of just like how because if you think about it, Twin Peaks Return is such like there's so much pressure into it. It's a follow up to like a fan favorite show. It's this first project in ten years. It's all this elements to it, and he just does what he wants to do artistically. And it was really inspiring to me, and I feel like there's no other episode that like touches upon that than this one for like many obvious reasons. The one being the biggest one being that like it's not even narratively like a cohesive like part of the Twin Peaks lore, except how David Lynch would want it to be. Like this couldn't have happened in the fir- earlier Twin Peaks. This couldn't have happened any other time, but now, and he makes it work. So. I, I'm just, like, in awe that he pulled it off so well, and it's, like, so just out of nowhere. And, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really something. People people were talking about this for a while. Jeremy, what, what were your... What's your initial thoughts on Part <laughs> A? <laughs> so, I, what, for, so, for starters, this is definitely something where... A situation where I'm, I'm going to probably get off this podcast and watch it this episode again tonight um because okay so this is probably and i and i'm i I don't want to mince words here and i don't i don't i also want to be hyperbolic but this is probably one of the top 10 best episodes of television i think ever made (laughs) um I, I definitely think that that is true. That is also definitely the sentiment online about this episode is that like people seem to be pretty universally like almost like in shock that this was ever even able to air. And I agree. Like Hearn, you, you, you kind of put it beautifully. Like people in, in film and TV are not really allowed to do stuff like this. Like that is not like if you if you are at the, um, if you were like under the thumb of a production company or a you know a publishing house or whatever, you're probably gonna get the note like, hey, this is just like nothing. <laughs> like this is not something that we can air. This doesn't progress your story. This is a waste of time. You know, like, and you'll probably be forced to do something different. Well, because of the nature of who David Lynch is and the deal that he was able to cut with Showtime, uh, I believe, like, the president of Showtime, who seems to be, like, at least pretty cool in this way, was like, what we're going to give you is the pure heroin form of Twin Peaks. That's what he called the return, is this is the pure heroin version of David Lynch. So... They were. They seemed to be excited to give him the power to act on his impulses and act and like and like make something at this budget that he wanted to make. And it just goes to show you that if you let somebody do that, if you let a true artist create free of the impedance of like budget or notes or like or like you know executives stepping in and making changes, they'll create something and it will be challenging. And it will be rough around the edges and it will be crazy, but ultimately worth it. Because like at the end of the day, I'm not going to go back and rewatch the last season of Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, I, I am yeah. good. I am going to watch this though again and probably again and again and again because it's so powerful. Um, 
yeah, it's almost yeah. It, it's it's everything I like about art and cinema, and it, it's almost no dialogue. <laughs> it is even the dialogue mm-hmm. that's there doesn't seem to be necessarily what's important. It's visual storytelling at its best, and it's also like so clearly just the raw execution of a filmmaker at the top of their game. Um, I will also say one thing that got me very excited about this episode that we'll, we'll kind of go over as we go through is Eric, you said something about the, the return being like almost like a greatest hits of all of David Lynch's career a little bit. Yeah. Like you yep. see, like you see so much like uh Mulholland drive stuff and uh, yeah. blue velvet stuff in the return. Well, this is probably the most eraser head type stuff we see. Um, yeah, in, yeah, I could see in, that in the return, and I love Eraserhead. <laughs> it's <laughs> like one of my favorites. So getting to see that, getting to see him doing black and white again, doing Eraserhead type stuff, uh, building those yeah, elaborate that, sets. That we is get so that cool. like exact like pencil shavings uh, shot. You yeah. know what I mean? With oh, the, yeah. I don't know if they're pencil shavings, but yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, so let's get into it. Gotta light, uh, Cooper's doppelganger and Raymond Monroe drive. The former noting that there are, uh, tackling, uh, tracking invi- devices on the car. He deactivates them, uh, repurposing them to a truck in front of them. They discuss where they are headed and information the doppelganger wants. And he lies to Ray about Daria. I just want to shout um, out uh, the uh, app that he uses to on top of yeah. which, which is just random, like that he can throw off physical tracking devices or whatever onto a truck. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like the font and like display of it and like the graphic design is just David Lynch art piece. There, it's like just weird font. It looks weird. It's uh, definitely not a normal app. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just that weird love- Lynchian interpretation of technology. I also love this like hacking, this like hacktivist version of Bad Cooper. <laughs> he's he seems to be able to like in a previous episode when he's in, he makes a phone call in in prison. He's in a holding cell or something, and he like makes a phone call, and then suddenly all the lights are flashing yeah. and the alarms are going off just yeah. from numbers he pressed in a in a telephone. Hey man, hack uh, the planet. Cool, uh, <laughs> dudes. Do you? I uh we we kind of spoke okay so we talked just about like the sweeping up the bar scene and how that like takes forever. I also want to just make a make mention that like the dialogue in the car takes like literally forever. Like it the conversation is happening so naturally between them it feels like that like there are so many pregnant pauses in between things that they're saying. Like at one yeah. point like it takes somebody I think a full 30 second to 45 second stop before they respond to the last thing said. And it just feels like I don't know. Again, I I just it just feels like such a confident choice to to just have it have that pacing be so not what you're used to watching. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's really tense and I I mean for obvious reasons this this kind of reminds me a little bit of lost highway um stylistically but uh they head off to the high off the highway to a secluded area as ray relieves himself cooper demands the information and attempts to shoot ray but ray has unloaded his gun tricked you fucker uh is i believe is what he says yeah and ray shoots shoots him with another gun uh ray then sees six dark men gather around cooper's body tearing at it 
revealing to Ray a black ball with the face of Bob. Mm. He runs away and tells Philip Jeffries that he believes he is dead. Okay. Did you, did, Jeremy? Did you pick up on that? That was who Ray called when he got in the in the car as Philip Jeffries. No, not not at all. I had no. He idea. says Philip. Oh, he, he does. He says Philip, but it's 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 very easy to miss. Okay. Yeah, I did not know Philip Jeffries was. I thought Philip Jeffries was dead. So, um, did did we already get a conversation between Bad Cooper and Philip Jeffries earlier? Was that who he was talking to earlier? He he thought he was talking to Philip Jeffries, but he may or may not have been is where it is what it oh, was. Oh, okay. Yeah, if the Philip Jeffries thing I still don't have quite a handle on because I'm also like it Philip Jeffries to me is David Bowie. So yeah. that's like a weird part of this I'm I'm having a hard time connecting to but th- I also yeah. did not know that the black ball was the face of Bob like I couldn't tell that but I also the, one of the reasons why I want to rewatch this episode is cuz I'm I'm even like noticing from a lot of the screenshots my TV was pretty it's set pretty dark um, oh okay and like I think I want to boost the brightness and rewatch yeah. it because I think I missed like, and it was cool. Don't get me wrong. Like it's set to like true blacks. So like when I, when I'm seeing it, like the silhouettes are really cool looking and like, it's very vivid, but it, it just like, I think I did miss some detail. Of, of yeah. Some seeing, of the stuff. seeing Bob come out of the, uh, come out of bad Cooper there is pretty critical. Cause yeah, we see, we see this little orb with Bob's Bob's face in it and, and, um, you know, I, there's various interpretations of that. Uh, I, I take it to mean that you know, Bob is being released from Bad Cooper okay. in some way. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, Michael Hearn, what do you what do you think of this whole what do you think of this whole woodsman scene? I mean, it's good. It's cool. I um I think it's funny when people talk about Part Eight. This the whole beginning part is trying to depart everyone doesn't talk about (laughs) but it is so good fair enough but like i think it is like a really effective short like moment of like continuing what's going on and kind of leads in sort of a weird abstract pre-act way of what the other two parts are and i think it like especially runs into this musical moment which oddly enough happens in the middle like not even the middle actually like the first third of the episode as opposed to like the end and it's really like really just not disturbing but it's a really dark different type of like uh musical choice to normal yeah i I I watched this i i like after this nine inch nails part ended i went back and watched it again i can't i can't get enough of this you know i'm not a nine inch nails fan but Mm -hmm. uh i i tried like i went back i was like playing some of their I wanted the, the album, the EP that this song's on. I was listening to, and I just, I can't. It's not the kind of music I listen to casually, but this fucking video, yeah, it's just so good. It's great. Yeah, it's just um, so good. Yeah, I, I recommend anyone who's uh, after after you watch the episode, um, and even before you take like a deeper dive uh, into the, um, like more like uh, more like Reddit dives of like what the episode means uh, ch- check out the vox article that came out i think uh june 26th of 2017 it, it it comes in the wake of this episode it's written by emily vanderwerf who i know from twitter as being a huge twin peaks fan and like 
Uh, also, someone, Eric, we should probably reach out to to see if they want to do the show at some point. Oh, hell yeah. But uh, but yeah, she breaks down the episode into four different parts that she thinks are, like, structurally, that's how she's she's a- self-analyzed the episode and, like, very much considers this whole part with Evil Cooper and Ray to be the first part, the second part then being the Nine Inch Nails sequence, which is, like, what she calls basically a scene setter to get us into the third and fourth parts. But um, it's interesting that you call it like a three act structure, Hearn, because it kind of, it kind of is a three act structure, right? Like, like um, if, if you consider that the, the, the nine inch nails performance is kind of just setting up the second act, then the first act would definitely be, you know, this weird scene with Cooper and Ray. The second act would be, well, we'll get into it. And then like, I guess it would be the stuff in the forties and then the third act would be the stuff in the fifties. Um, so it, so even yeah. though it is avant-garde and experimental, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it actually does follow the rules of three act structure, <laughs> which is also mi- mind fucking me to death right now. <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the lyrics also, I'm, it, you know, it's amazing to me when you, I, wa- I've been watching these with the closed captions on, Same. uh, got a loud air conditioner and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's amazing to me how the lyrics to these like songs that already existed, just fucking the, the music fits perfectly and somehow lyrically they fit very well. That chromatic song, um, I went back and I've been listening to that a little bit and the lyrics are like spot on for like the first episode of mm. the return. Mm. It's just, I don't know. There's, there's some things in this, in the return that are just like, I don't know. It, it's, there's something, there's something about this, this season of, of TV that's pretty special. But, uh, anyway, Cooper's doppel- doppelganger sits up, he's alive. And then of course, uh, we, we, we skip to, uh, July 16th, 1945, White Sands, New Mexico, 529 AM. Uh, the world's first atomic bomb is detonated. Images of darkness and various distorted images are seen, followed by nebulae and a convenience store where dark men arrive and move around, uh, outside. Jeremy, this is where I was, I was talking, uh, in the last episode that, uh, there's a little Kubrickian, uh, yeah, possibly like, inspiration in here. Yeah, some strange, specifically two thousand one. Yeah, or, or and strange love. Yeah, I was also um, I've I've seen this compared to two thousand one a lot online, but also uh, someone mentioned I thought a pretty apropos comparison to the Tree of Life, which is the Terrence mm. Malick film. Uh, Hearn, you've seen Tree of Life? Yes. Yeah. What, what do you would you of say that that's a pretty fair com- no. comparison? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely the uh, like very quick cut images. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Or like just the long drawn out like slow yeah. push into the blast. It felt yeah. I because yeah. I was having I was like having so much deja vu watching this scene. Almost like I was like, has this have I seen this exact thing before? And it's like, well, sort of like an inter an iteration. In, iterative you have like in tree of life uh being a big one yeah um i want to shout out that like the editing of the convenience store part specifically again like talking about things that don't get talked about a lot Mm -hmm. the atomic bomb shot is really beautifully composed Mm -hmm. a lot of the images are really interesting and unique and that's really cool 
I didn't see too much, many people talking about how like, the editing of the convenience store part where like all those dark, all the woodsmen are like wandering around and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of done in a very weird digital way. Like it feels like you're skimming through like a timeline of like an Adobe yes. Premiere project. Right. Where it just keeps yeah. cutting like real quickly sound and image just like chopping. And that's really like I think you need for a David Lynch project, especially being so digital. And it's just really like a weird, effective way of time spanning like in this uh, segment here. And so it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah he uses the same effect in uh, episode three or in part three with the the woman with no eyes mm-hmm. when they're he's with her and they're moving very choppily. Yeah, um, it's really cool. Yeah. It's it's like insanely cool. But I also was while I was watching the sequence, her and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what this looked like on set. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like how he actually pulled this off. Like not the effect, but like the actual filming of it. And I was like, I bet that would have been cool to watch also. If he would have just played it straight or even sped up, you know? Just like you know, moving all these actors around the set, lighting different parts of it up, put it b- pouring smoke out of different parts of the set. You know, like, like what was his, what was he going for? You know what I mean? Did he know he was going to use the effect ahead of time? Like probably not, you know? So it's like being on set that day. I wonder if he was just sort of creating and, and using, you know, okay, let's let smoke off now. Okay. Now like, like cut the smoke. Now let's like light it up a few times. Now get some people in here. You know, like I want to know how it went. <laughs> Um, a figure appears to regurgitate a substance where inside are many le- eggs. Uh, this figure, by the way, uh, looks a little bit like the uh, creature that we saw in the glass box, Jeremy, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. many episodes ago. Right. Uh, a speckled one uh, getting out while the face of Bob can be seen on a black ball rock. Uh, golden and red imagery follows, then a purple sea under a black lodge where atop a rock inspire, uh, spire is a building. Inside is a woman who listens to a phonograph. Uh, I'm going to call him the giant. Yeah. Uh, the giant enters as a uh, mechanism in the room makes a noise. He goes upstairs where he views the preceding events. Ascending as a golden cloud forms above his head. The woman enters as a golden orb, orb floats down to her from the cloud. It reaches her hand and is it has the face of Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kisses it and sends it to Earth. Yeah. So immediately one thought I had was um, seeing the gold, right? The golden hue of whatever the orb was and and like the pipe that leads to it. Uh, the I guess like the projection of Earth or whatever. It very yeah. it very much reminded me of the gold ball that we see Dougie turn into in the Black Lodge. Ah, you know, yeah. like like gold. Like we've we've been getting a lot of golden imagery in the Return so far, and I'm just wondering if those are kind of connected in some way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. What do you do? You, um. Do you have any theory? Do either of you have any theory? I guess her and you might have. You've seen the rest of the the, the return, um, but do you guys have any sort of? Seems uh, like she's sending guesses as to Laura to Earth in some yeah, sort of way. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's my take too. Is like we we see sort of the creation of Bob, and then it sets off this alarm <laughs> where the you know this woman and yeah. the giant create Laura to sort of offset the evil of Bob. Maybe. Right. Yeah, that's that that seems like that tracks for me. Um, it also. You know, I also think like the idea of traveling through orbs or a person being contained in an orb and have in traveling through time or space that way is maybe there's something there. I don't know. Um, but I definitely like got that vibe from the thing that we saw in space that spits out all that goo is like, oh, that's <laughs> that's like um, some sort of evil incarnate type type being sure um so we cut to 1956 august 5th new mexico desert uh oh should we also mention by the way uh sorry real quick that like the song being played during all of that is um like very specific (laughs) yeah what have we heard it before? It's or what? So what is it? Uh, part in uh, sometimes it's even quite literal. As, okay, so uh, it's it's a, a, it's a score by a classical composer named uh, um, Penderecki, and the song is called "Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima." Oh, so like huh. it's very clearly, you know, like tying the whole events of Hiroshima and Nagasaki to whatever's happening right here too. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't just sound cool. It's also like there for, <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Which is, which is like, which is cool, you know? Cause it could have just been any like Ligeti <laughs> composition, <laughs> like something Kubrick <laughs> yeah. would have used, you know, but it very much sounds like something from 2001 and it also is written like as a response to in the wake of Hiroshima. So it's like, I don't know. It's that's, that's a, that's a, that is a very satisfying choice for me. I did not know that. It's interesting. It does. It, it sounds like, uh, that's a, that's another thing. That whole, Sequence kind of reminds me a lot of Eraserhead. Yeah, that music that too. does. Yeah, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, New Mexico desert. Strange creature hatches from a speckled egg and crawls through the desert. Teenage couple walk past a gas station. The girl finding a face-up penny. Two woodsmen descend onto the ground and they stop a car. One of them asking the driver and his wife got a light. Mm-hmm. Uh, the couple in the car become frightened and they speed away. Uh, the young couple reach the girl's home and they share a kiss before she goes inside. One of the woodsmen approaches a radio station, goes inside, and kills the receptionist <laughs> uh, simply by touching her head. I yeah. Guess. Uh, well, I think what he's doing, tell me if you guys agree, I think what he's doing is he's putting his fingers in her head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that, her, like yeah. The, the sound design is very like crunchy and gross and right. yeah. kind of messy. Uh, it I couldn't tell if it was like the force of his hand like crushing her stole or something really disturbing like that. Right. But uh, I, yeah. yeah, later we see him like I yeah what later I, we what see I think like, is him pull- inside. Yeah, he like pulls his fingers out of the guy's head, so it's like oh yeah. 
He then goes to the DJ, grabs him tightly by the head, and repeatedly broadcasts these words. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Which causes listeners to fall unconscious, in, uh, including a waitress at Pap's, uh, Pop's Diner, a mechanic in his shop, and the girl. Uh, the creature reaches the girl's room and climbs into her mouth. Uh, the girl, by the way, there was specu- this, is, this isn't a spoiler because it's uh, s- speculation that I read after this episode came out is people were uh, theorizing that this young girl, because the time frame matches up, is a young Sarah Palmer. Uh. Um, and anyway, the woodsman ends his broadcast, crushes the disc jockey's skull, and then leaves well uh, the neigh of a horse is heard. Yeah. And that's that's the episode. Yeah. Um it being a young Sarah Palmer wouldn't necessarily do much for me just because I'm I'm watching this thinking that it is evil Bob for the first time going into a body, like assuming a yeah, a, a person. Um and so that like it being Sarah Palmer wouldn't probably that wouldn't necessarily make a ton of sense to me just because I feel like Sarah Palmer's line is probably you know pure or whatever like but then again Leland is her dad I don't know um, yeah I mean there's been no there's been no verification on that it's just yeah. a theory that was going around but uh, right. yeah yeah, you guys ever had a bug crawl in your mouth <laughs> when you were sleeping? That's one of the weirder and kind of more disturbing images I've ever seen. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah. yeah, I think the design, by the way, of the bug is yeah really good. Like it's like part frog. Um, at least, and at I mean least... the CG, the CG of it is really cool too. Yeah, like bef- even before when it was just on the sand and it was like moving and struggling along and pushing sand along. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how well they did that. Like, a lot of the CG in this, even all the effects in the middle are, like, really cool. Yeah. And then the fact that it actually incorporated with, like, a live actress was, like, really interesting. Yeah. And well done there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so let's discuss, because I feel like, uh, you know, I I feel like there's probably a lot to unpack here. I think that it's pretty we've we also kind of danced around this idea but it's pretty much can we do we all pretty much agree that this is like sort of we're seeing sort of the beginnings at least of evil in some sort of way the beginning of good and evil maybe Um, the only thing that I bump up against is like evil didn't start with Hiroshima right that's not what it's saying but something, what do we think that the blast, like the atomic bomb blast, means? Well, I mean, the atom bomb was a p- pretty uh, significant uh, <laughs> advancement in evil. For sure. For but sure. Yeah, but yeah, you do, are right. Do we do, but is that, is that, because that would even be good enough for me if we were to, if we were to assume that this is just a profound big moment for it, or maybe this is the first time or this moment somehow unleashed more evil or something 
because to me i'm like i'm like what like what is that what does the that moment signify is that just like the first time is that is that what unlocks what does that unlock like what does that cause to happen well it does it it appears to cause uh bob i guess yeah. okay yeah um, it's kind of, the sequence kind of, the sequence of events there but uh yeah yeah, yeah I guess it's I guess it's uh, open to open to interpretation. I'm trying to uh, you know I I really want to uh, explain some of this theory that I from this w- YouTube guy yeah uh, to you very badly because he does stuff. he does talk about part eight yeah quite a bit but I I, I really th- I I think you sh- you got to watch it and come up with your own theory first because that's part of the fun. But, uh, right, right. But I mean, would you to explain some of his theory? Would that spoil later stuff? Yeah, I think it would. Oh, okay. Great. But yeah, yeah. I don't know, Michael Hearn. What do you do? You got any sort of? Um. Well, yeah. Theory? I mean, sort of the language is there, and sort of like what you guys pick up on too. It's just like when I saw this episode for the first time, I kind of took it, and it only has like the hints of like, yeah, it goes back so far, and it's not really connected to distinct characters except maybe Sarah Cooper apparently or not Sarah Cooper sorry Sarah Pal- what was Plammer. it Palmer 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 uh <laughs> but it's like it felt like an origin story of sorts to me but not of like a specific character or element but like sort of like the evil that would happen in Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks and a lot of like Lynch stuff is all about like the loss of innocence in an innocent uh, era or an innocent time and even like what part 8 is is like it's literally like a couple of kids like walking down the street politely asking if they can have a kiss and then just going on their way and then you know cut to nowadays where it's you know na- Amanda Siegfried having a heroin in her veins or something it's um it's just this weird like fragmented origin story of sorts and i don't yeah i agree it's like not evil as like the general sense but it's is like whatever specific evil that is like bob versus laura palmer is there Hmm. whatever the specific evil of like twin peaks that takes like an innocent american small town with their values and manipulates it to be something way worse is kind of in there and it's kind of yeah. like the very first seeds of it because like even aside from just like a couple people dying in a bug crawling like no, there's no like immediate uh, consequences of what happens in this episode so it's, it's just like us seeing the seeds being planted of something darker is there some sort and, of moralist tale in here too of like with the dawn of the radio came the poisoning of our minds or something mm. Do you, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, is there is there something yeah. being said about like the transmitting of like rock and roll? Because we also get that Nine Inch Nails song right before, which seems to be that's true. Like the evolution of what yeah. this poem. That's is. interesting. Did you uh, catch the first line? Uh, I forget if the boy or the girl says it, but literally the first line, like actual line of dialogue we hear. Mm-hmm after the Nine Inch Nails video isn't until that young boy and girl. And one of them says, uh, I forget the exact line, but they comment on the song. They're like, that was a good song, right? Or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Did you hear that <laughs> yeah. song? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I I like where you're going with that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I will say, I, my interpretation of this specific moment is, uh, you know, 
the atom bomb. So if we Bob has been explained to us as the evil that men do. Uh, I forget when that was explained. Maybe in the original run or in Fire Walk with Me. But the atomic bomb is like obviously a very significant, uh, you know, advancement in the evil that men do, mm. and maybe just that, just the sheer like uh, hor- horrificness of it, and the fact that it exists, um, it's sort of like elevated, like just warfare and and just the idea of like how terrible people can be right. just birthed this uh, sort of manifestation of evil that is that is Bob yeah um, and in response this entity I guess I don't know if this is the White Lodge or where this is we're supposed to be with this woman but I take them to be like good characters mm-hmm. like they're they're good and they have some sort of uh, control over this universe that we're in. Uh, they they create Laura to to try and offset the evil. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's I, I don't know. That's my take. But we still have eight. We we still have eight parts to go. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. <laughs> and I do think that it's fun that this episode does come right at the halfway point because it's like I expect the next episode to be, you know, like almost like this gives you the context or foundation to move forward. You know, a little bit, yeah. even if it might be a little uh, esoteric, it, it does give you a feel for like, you know, uh, a genesis of everything of biblical proportions, you know, <laughs> like this is this is certainly big. This is certainly broad, like uh, blunt. This is like this is kind of fucking epic. So it's like, yeah. oh, man, like. The things at play here, though they may be localized to a specific town like Twin Peaks, you know, they have implications that are universal, which are, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of where the show's always wanted to go, you know, with like the Major Briggs mm-hmm. stuff and the, the, you know, conspiratorial like uh, aliens and the woods and the owls and the Black Lodge, like the show has always felt a little bit bigger than what it presents as. And I think that this is like a cool, it's definitely cool. I, one, one thing I'm all, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little like, uh, I, I'm afraid of the answer to this question, but it has to do with some of what David Lynch's feelings are about like our country and like life and stuff, which is like, is he does he idealize like the 1950s you know what i mean because <laughs> there's a little uh. bit of that happening which it, at least it made me at first think like you know hey i hope that he doesn't i hope that he realizes this was actually a really bad time this was actually one of the more evil times in our country because of racism and <laughs> you, you know what I mean like and I guess I just won't ever know the answer to that truly because in it he does make a huge point to like really show you that like look uh, evil evil showed up here 
You know what I mean? Like that's sort of like what he's mm. trying to say. But like, it, but like in in my mind, I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Like these demons that showed up aren't what's evil. It's like the people that were already there are evil. Like that's that's sort of like the truth of it. So I'm kind of and by evil I mean like it's white America in the 1950s. It's like a it's like a fucking nightmare for anyone to live back then. So um, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 sort of like I I I know that he has his detective thing that he likes and he likes uh, noir and um, I just just part of me that like I'm not sure if you're if you're if if what your message here, David Lynch, is that like the '50s are like look at how evil the '50s were, or if you're saying like no, it was like outside forces in on our country that that made the '50s evil because that to me there's also like an interpretation that you could make about the shadow men that show up that feels very much like you could interpret as racist i don't know if i don't know if you guys have ever read it that way but um that was something yeah that, that was a thought i had was like okay so there's the all black these, face well yeah like they're like kind of covered in like oil or something but it is yeah. like it is sort of like is this like, are you talking about rock and roll? Are you talking about black music? Is that like what, ha- you know, like maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but it definitely. Yeah. I've heard that the criticism of the, of the, uh, the woodsman there. I, 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 I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being willfully ignorant, but I like to think that, uh, I, I actually do truly think that this, that, that wasn't the intention. I think that it is, um, the, the black, the black, you know, it, it, the, the, uh, makeup and everything is is just sort of an effect that that is not meant to have any sort of like racial uh, right significance or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, um, if anything, if there's like an American value of like they might have been like hinted at being coal miners or something. They're just covered in yeah. soot. That's like, what they seem like to me, Hearn. Yeah, yeah. and that's the way yeah. I'm like sort of choosing to take it. You know what I mean? Like, but there was like a. There was a moment where I was like, "Huh, like this is like <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting." Uh, I I also think like the, the what 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 do you guys think of the whole "God of Light" thing? Because to me, there was sort of like this. They look like they were covered in something flammable. <laughs> so <laughs> so when yeah. they keep asking for a light, I, the, I, that's where my Which mind. They never went. got either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they never got their light. That's what the real problem was. Yeah, <laughs> what is uh? What do we think that means? Like, gotta light. Gotta light. I mean, it's funny because he's not demonize. He couldn't be demonizing smoking because he thinks smoke. David Lynch thinks smoking looks hella cool. He has a lot of his yeah. characters do that a lot. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Um, might just be as anything else. Like it's a seed of evil. Like tobacco industry being what it was. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good uh, a good answer answer for that really, other than I don't know. It has to mean something more than th- this guy really just wants a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, and then but, and then last question yeah. I have is: uh, Do we know if the phrase they're saying over the radio is that from anything, or is that? a completely original piece of poetry or whatever. Is that like... I believe it is completely original. Oh, wow. 
Um, let me Google it. Yeah, I know. We could all anyone could have just googled up. this at any point. I'm like, like asking uh, you guys a question. Like, yeah, I th- it's yeah, I think it's, it's original. This. Yeah, yeah. We've seen a horse in the show before too, right? Oh yeah, we've seen. Uh, I believe Sarah Palmer saw one uh, in the original run. Mm-hmm. This I. That's my right in the house. Hazy, in the house. Yeah. In the house around yeah. when Leland is doing something evil, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. And I believe it's when Sarah Palmer is maybe like when she's like drugged up or something. Like Leland would like drug her or. Something else was going. I can't remember. Yeah. But also, we did see. I think in part three, um, Cooper sees a horse in the lodge. Oh, okay. There's nice. that like effect where the curtain pulls back, and then we kind of yeah. glide across the, you know, zigzaggy floor, and there's that white horse. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, more some of these questions I think will will get answered for you, Jeremy, uh, as we go on. You totally. know, totally. Definitely not all of them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, Michael Hearn, thank you so much for joining us. Do you, you got anything you would like to plug? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I guess there's a little bit I can plug on my website, uh, michaelchearn.com. Uh, I kind of have, I just updated it mostly, but I kind of have a page for an upcoming project that I haven't finished yet that will be coming out uh, eventually called Big Ideas Detective Agency, which is very kind of uh, comically nourish about two uh, young brothers who have their own detective agency. Uh, It stars a good friend of mine, Michael Stevens, and his really cool kid. Um, It was a lot of fun to do. And uh, it was the last thing I could potentially film, honestly, with how everything went down. But I filmed (laughs) it, and I'm working on editing it and doing stuff with it soon. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Jeremy, you got the uh, Animaniacs is out. Oh, yeah. Animaniacs is out. It's ready for business. We got uh, one episode up. You know, it's a bi-monthly podcast. So, you know, I would say, you know, if you're going to subscribe, do it with the expectation that you'll get a little treat every couple weeks. You know, it's it's definitely not something that we are, we are trying to, like, uh, you know, uh, do a lot of you know we want to we want to be very <laughs> intentional about it so we're kind of taking our time with it. it again it's a labor of love but you can check that out also if you like this show i feel like you would like another podcast that i just have i just launched haven't posted about it yet but it's called double double feature feature i posted it on our last episode it is uh all right yeah i plugged it on our last episode uh we have a uh, round table discussion with me and, and a, a couple other comedians we bring a double feature in and we kind of discuss like what make that double feature uh really pop was it thematic was it you know was it based on actor was it based on subject matter uh so you can uh, you can subscribe to that anywhere podcasts can be found and then uh yeah video games a comedy show me and Hearn, uh we uh we mix it up over there a little bit. Uh, it's a very fun show. Hearn, you've done a bunch of those uh bunch of those podcasts. I'd say. Oh yeah, I have. You're a uh, you're a mainstay over there. So if you like me, you like Michael Hearn, um, I would say listen to Video Games a Comedy Show. It's uh it's funny, it is enlightening. It's also not enlightening. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, if you want to hear more of my work, you can, of course, check out uh, The Moose Minute, which yeah. is on, will be on <laughs> this <Hey>. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a subscriber. 
Yes. Oh, uh, yes. It's uh, great to have a patron on, by the way. Thank you so much, Michael Hearn. Thanks for the reminder as well. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. You know, we got some great weekly bonus episodes going on over there. Uh, I say it every time, but it's really, we have a blast over there, and we, we really let the uh, the patrons kind of kind of guide us on what, what to cover and, yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. So we have a good, it's a good little uh, community over there. There's always room for more. Uh, and I think that's it, fellas. So yeah. uh, with, with that, I will say, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Thank you.